Lord God, thank you that we can come here tonight and be in your presence together. Lord God, help us to empty all distracting thoughts, all worries, all feelings of fatigue and tiredness. I pray tonight, Lord, we come with a mindset of thanksgiving, that we come with an open mind to be led, to be guided, to be transformed by your spirit. Lord God, I pray that my words are your words. And all things, Lord God, thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take your seats. Is God stirring something? How can you not be stirred if you look at the cross of Jesus? Tonight we're going to look at a passage from the book of Luke, Luke 6, and it'll come up. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Thanks. Take that in. Sometimes in Australia, I don't think we truly understand what it means to have enemies, people that want to do you serious harm, to kill you. Look at the, the, the unrest around the world at the moment. But we can apply that into our daily lives. There's no doubt about that. But take that in. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Pray for them. In the history of man, humankind, any, any teachings about, about the right thing to do and to be, do not come close to this. There is something that happened when Jesus said these words that changed human history forever. This was nothing said before. It's, I've heard it, uh, read it, that it's almost like the pinnacle of human ethics, which is incredibly profound. But it's almost laughable, isn't it, in practice, to love your enemies? But Jesus said at the start, are you listening? Are you listening to those who are listening? Are you listening? Like Jesus said elsewhere, for those who have ears to hear and a heart to understand, listen up. See, the brutal reality is that many people, including many Christians, do not understand and miss what Jesus is saying and, in fact, miss the God that Jesus is talking about. And I'm not talking about being saved here. I'm talking about being caught up in the stuff that just doesn't matter. 
and about why so many Christians are constantly worrying about what God's will is for their lives when it's actually staring you in the face and they end up doing nothing and walking in a faith that is devoid of power and meaning and purpose. So what is God, Jesus doing with these words? I'm just going to watch a, a little clip. Which section stands out to you the most? Do not be anxious about your life, of course. Are there any sections that concern you? Give me your honest opinion. I know I don't have to say that, but... The whole truth. You know I won't be offended. It's... Oh, that is striking. But if I do the math in terms of good news and bad, it seems like there's not a lot of good news. Anyone who looks at the woman with lust has already committed adultery. Doesn't that make everyone an adulterer? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Wouldn't that lead to an entire population of people walking around with only one eye? Oh, and this one. If anyone were to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Mm. Trees that bear bad fruit being cut down and torn into the fire. The gate is narrow and hard that leads to life. Depart from me, I never knew you. Do you realize how heavily laden your sermon is with these kinds of ominous pronouncements? I haven't even named half of them. It's a manifesto, Matthew. I'm not here to be sentimental and soothing. I'm here to start a revolution. Well, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That isn't exactly... I said revolution, not revolt. I'm talking about a radical shift. Did you think I was just going to come here and say, hey, everyone, just uh, keep doing what you've been doing for the last thousand years since it's been going so great? Love the chosen. I love the way the chosen has interpreted the, the humanness of Jesus. And if you uh, were here three weeks ago, you'll realise what's a favourite uh, show in our house <laughs> when Chloe spoke and used the clip as well. Did you hear what he was saying there? I love that interpretation. I am not here to be sentimental and soothing. It's been going so well for the last thousand years. Keep going. He's not here to say that. Time for a radical shift, a revolution, not a revolt. See, this is part of the broader Sermon on the Mount recorded in the Gospels, which is an incredible message that was and remains counter to all that the nation of Israel was expecting their Messiah to be. And, it, and in fact, it's counter to everything that the world expects today. The last shall be first, Jesus says. Blessed are the poor, the pure in heart, the merciful, the peacemakers. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you because of me. Blessed are those who were persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in amongst the greatest sermon ever delivered, this message of love for your enemies and those that hate you is probably the hardest yet most defining part of his whole message of the kingdom of God, to love. Do you know what the definition of love is? It's to want the very best for someone. To love your enemies is want the very best for them. 
It's an extraordinary message when you just sit and think about that. And in Jesus' time, to the Jewish leaders who want their Messiah sent from God to lead them against their enemies, to crush them and to deliver them to their understanding of God's promises for a chosen people. But Jesus says, no, not a revolt, a revolution, a radical shift. You see, the revolution and the kingdom that Jesus preached was building on the Old Testament, the law of the Old Testament that, that the Jewish leaders knew so well. And he's saying that God is doing a new thing. And he said, Jesus says, even sinners can love their neighbour and those that love them. And I say, love your enemies. Love the people who hate you. And what he preached and, and how he lived was a, a crazy, absurd generosity Think of the best thing you can do for the worst person. Just put that into your head and go ahead and do it. Think of what you'd really like someone to do for you and do it for them. Think of the, pe- of the people that you are tempted to be just mean and nasty to and instead flip that and lavish crazy generosity on them. Can you do that? N.T. Wright, if we can just flash the next one up. N.T. Wright beautifully captures it, that these instructions are different. They have a freshness, a spring-like quality. They are all about new life bursting out energetically, like flowers growing through concrete and amazing people with their colour amidst the greyness. What an image. But these standards are impossible, aren't they? They're impossible to reach. Later in his sermon, at one point, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What? We could spend a week unpacking that idea of completeness and perfection. But it's impossible, isn't it? Impossible to reach those standards. Well, yes and no. See, Jesus' point was not to provide a rule book or a list of do's and don'ts that you, you, you tick off and can sit back satisfied at the end of a, a moral day. No. The point was to show and to illustrate an attitude of heart. A lightness of spirit in the face of all that the world can throw at you. Martin Luther King Jr. led a revolution of non-violent resistance in the fight for equality and civil rights for black Americans. And that picture on the left is in his front yard after his house had been firebombed and he's standing with his two-year-old son And if you can make it out, he's picking out a burnt cross that they had put there. And he's known in that moment to have prayed a prayer, asking God not to just forgive those that had done this, but to bless them, to grant favour upon them. That's quite an extraordinary image when you put that context into it as well. And that quote is one of many that Martin Luther King Jr. made 
Read that with me. Returning evil for evil multiplies evil, adding deeper darkness to a night devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out hate. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. See, Martin Luther King understood and captured what Jesus was saying, that at the centre of it is the thing that motivates and and gives colour to the whole thing. You ought to be like this because this is what God is like. This is what God is like. I've heard it presented by one commentator that Jesus has a God-saturated view of the world, a God-saturated view of the world. What a lens to look at the world through, eh? What lens do you have? What lens do you apply a worldview? Is God-saturated? See, this view of this God-saturated view comes out in Jesus' teaching in so many ways that, that every breath, every ray of sunshine, every, every drop of rain, every meal, every laugh is a gift and a moment of grace from the Creator, the Creator God. And Jesus observes that the people who deserve a good life to receive these good gifts. And He observes those that don't because they're simply horrible people but that God is generous to all people, to the undeserving as well as the deserving. He is astonishingly merciful as anyone who truly knows their own heart and still experiences God's grace can attest to. Yes, you will be judged for what you do in this life. The Bible is very, very clear. But only when people understand the sort of God they are dealing with will they have any chance of making this way of life that Jesus is talking about their own. Remember, Jesus said, are you listening to those who are listening? Because again, too many people miss the God that Jesus is talking about. They miss who God really is, what what God is doing and wants to do and wants to do through you. They have believed almost in a a gloomy God, an almost spiteful God who seems to make make life difficult and unenjoyable and make salvation almost impossible sometimes. But, But this passage does away with that. It does, a, does away with the lie that all religions are really the same, that, that all gods are variations on the same theme. Nah, this God is different. Otherwise, there would be no violence, no revenge, no poverty, no division. Possessions would be far less important than, than making sure that your neighbour is okay. Imagine if even a few people around you took Jesus seriously. And live like that. Life would be different, wouldn't it? Life would be extraordinary, in fact. And that is a radical shift. That is radical Christianity. 
And that is the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is what God is like. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. So therefore what the people of God, the people of the kingdom should look like. And this is what's breaking in through Jesus and what's to come. But it's a completely different framing of who God is and the call on our lives. But no one says it's easy. No one says it's easy. And and this is not about being weak or being a a doormat to, to be trampled upon. That's not what this is about. This is a shift of attitude and heart and ultimately action. And I am, I am constantly challenged by this in my own life, as those who would know me well would attest to. I'm a person who knows my strengths and I believe in my capabilities, but also that in many ways my natural instincts are chaotic. They're a, they're a mess. They're a bundle of energy and emotions, constant struggle of my humanness, my human nature. It's a wrestle that sometimes feels like it's going to explode out of me and damn be the consequences. See, I know that. And I look at my nature and I go, what can move the heart of man to love? Let alone to love those who mean you harm, who hate you. To be at peace enough with yourself to want the very best for them. Many of you will know the story of, of Corrie Ten Boom and her, her sister Betsy in World War II. And in their home with their family in the Netherlands, they hid many Jewish refugees. And as a result, they, they were sought after by the German Gestapo. They were eventually captured and, and sent to one of the worst concentration camps. And they endured horrific treatment unimaginable cruelty, living in the worst possible conditions, huddled in barracks with hundreds of other women, sleeping on mattresses infested with lice. And Betsy would eventually die in that camp. But throughout, they had an unshakable trust in God and would hold worship services after the hard days of of hard labour using a Bible that they'd had smuggled in. Corrie Corrie survived, as you would know the story, and she would write the book The Hiding Place and travelled the world for years speaking and preaching. And several years after the war, though, she later wrote of an experience, and I'll read this to you because I I can't capture it without reading in her own words, if you bear with me. She says, I was speaking in a church in Munich when one of the former SS guards who inflicted so much suffering upon us approached at the end of the service. One of the former SS guards, right, who inflicted all the, the suffering. How grateful I am for your message, he said, to think that as you say, God has washed my sins away. And with that, he thrust out his hand to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often about the need to forgive, could not raise my hand to shake his. 
even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, no warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened from my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And, I, and so I discovered that it's not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. Wow, extraordinary. Let me just read that last little bit again. It is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. And that is my story as well, and nowhere near as dramatic or as heroic as, as Corrie and Betsy. But it is only by the grace of God that I go forward. See, when you think you can exist in your own strength, you miss the point. You can't move yourself to love your enemy any more than you can save yourself. And this is the key. When Jesus said He didn't come to call the righteous, He is saying He didn't come for those who were relying on their own strength their own righteousness. A person with such a mindset cannot be saved because they are convinced that they are good enough within themselves that they don't need God. They don't need God's help. They don't realise their desperate plight, that they are not actually worthy of anything at all. And as long as they lean on their own strength, they will refuse to come to Christ. It's a tough message. But it's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor and the pure in heart, for they will see God. Not because they are weak, but they understand their hearts. They understand their hearts and who they are relation in in terms of the enormity of who God is. They understand their desperate need for God. It's the most common trait of the greatest spiritual revivals in history when people truly come to this realisation and get on their knees crying out to God. The only a person who, who recognises the depths of his or her own sinfulness, who realises that they are actually without strength and totally destitute of any merit whatsoever can be saved. Such a person cannot make a single move towards their own salvation and they have to call upon God for mercy. But it's why I started with the cross. It's why I started with the cross. But that is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the amazing part of what Jesus has done, that the mercy, His mercy and forgiveness is freely available 
all made possible through the cross and the sacrifice of the perfect, blameless Son of God for you and for me. For by His wounds you are healed. Amen? People, when confronted by this, often worry about what they are losing. No. This is all about what you gain. When you are set free from the chains of this world and into the grace and the love of God and you are made anew and have strength like no other. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, rise Paul. Even have love and be moved in love for those that hate you, want to harm you and see you have no life at all. What is the will of God for your life? To grasp this. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a pearl. It's like the greatest treasure in the world. That when you get it, when you have it, when you live by it, everything else takes shape behind that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he said. And when you have it, when you have that, when you are living by it day every day and in every way, you will forever lift your heart and your voice in praise and worship. Friends, he doesn't want to beat you down to make you feel guilty. That's such the wrong view. That is not a God-saturated view. He wants to wrap his arms around you and he wants to lift you up into his glory forever and forever. Amen. We're going to uh, get the worship band to to come back and we're going to sing shortly. But if God's doing something in your heart tonight with that message or simply by staring at the cross and the reality of, of what he's done, don't leave it there. Don't not respond to the promptings of the Spirit in your life. The prayer team will come forward as well and there'll be people here to talk to you, talk to your friends about it, whatever it is, but don't not respond to the promptings of God tonight. The song that we're going to sing is O Holy Night, which is one of the the great, great carols. And the opening of it all talks about the birth of the King, the true King, the Saviour. But in terms of what we've spoken about tonight, look at the words of the third verse there. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppressions shall cease. (laughs) Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise His name.